Hey guys, what's going on? Jordy Cannell here. Thank you so much for checking out this weekend recap edition of the podcast here on the Bullpen Card Podcast feed. I recap the NBA All-Star Game, which actually ended up being way more intense than regular All-Star Games. Potentially the best one ever. The Genesis Open on the PGA Tour, my West Coast Swing, some spring training updates, and yes, that does include an Astros update, but it was a lot of fun to record. I cannot wait to hear what you guys think. Let me know in the comments. Tweet at us. ThunderBLG is the handle there. Thunderblog Sports on Facebook and Instagram. Just like the website, ThunderBlogSports.com. Join the Bullpen Cart Podcast group on Facebook as well. And as always, make sure to subscribe to the podcast. Leave a nice five-star review. And enjoy this week's episode, guys. We will see you later on this week here. We go. Welcome to this episode of the podcast. I, of course, am the G-Man, Jordy Cannell. Another weekend recap for you. I am back from my West Coast swing. Hopefully this is the last Monday that I'm doing this. I do not foresee myself traveling or having any reasons to stay up late on a Sunday. So I appreciate you guys all having patience with these things. Coming out Monday nights into Tuesdays. Not a Sunday nights into Mondays, which uh, we're aiming for here. But was out on the West Coast last week. I do want to talk to you guys about that. I know I teased it in the last couple pods and we threw up some stuff on the Instagram. So I want to kind of unpack that, tell you guys about it potentially give you recommendations who knows but let's let's jump into the to some of the big parts of the weekend and this is one I was not sure I was even going to talk about maybe throw it on at the end but we're going to start with the NBA All-Star game which you know I full disclosure I did not watch the first three quarters of I watched a little bit of the first but missed out on the rest of it watched the intros which were something you had a nice tribute to Kobe from Jennifer Hudson. Then you had this tribute to Chicago by Common that was also a spoken word. But then his spoken word intros of the players. And if you've not checked this out, I was almost going to pull some of the audio of it. I couldn't figure out which ones to do. He does every single player, and I wasn't just going to throw that on there for you. But he tries to rhyme some words. Some are pretty good, like Rudy Gobert with... Mon frere and stuff like that, but then he tries to rhyme names that and words that do not go together. So go check that out. Like he goes indeed with Embiid, and that was some of the the more stretches he went. Um, go check that out because it's um, it was something. Probably would talk about it more. Pull actual audio for you if the game, or at least the part of the game that everybody's talking about, didn't end up being good, which. I mentioned I didn't watch most of the the first three quarters, and you know I is you know if you listen to the baseball podcast, you know I love the MLB All Star Game, and you know Greg and I talk about the NHL All Star Game a ton, and even with the NHL All Star Game, I watch that one, but I'm not totally invested in it's. The, I think the three on three, Greg and I mentioned it going into it. I think it's run its course, and maybe we need to shake it up. The NBA decided to really go flip turn upside down. Fresh Prince style, and has this fourth quarter that was untimed. 
that was to a certain number. It was to 157. And you know what? It sounded crazy. I think in an actual game, you'd forget about who won the first three quarters. And I think that's where everybody got kind of confused on. But you know what? It worked. This playing to 157, which which was 24 more than the, I believe it was the Team Giannis leading after three quarters, it really worked out. You got an intense fourth quarter, which that's the biggest thing about the NBA All-Star Game. It's the biggest thing about the Pro Bowl is that it's these offensive fests, just complete frenzies of people jacking threes from places, 50-yard bombs in the Pro Bowl, and you sh- it seemed like it was that way. For one, Kawhi Leonard started off the game for like the three minutes we watched, and then we watched the movie Long Shot, which I'm going to talk about towards the end. But Kawhi Leonard's jacking up threes like you normally see in an All-Star game and is not missing a beat. He ends up winning the MVP. But I tuned back into the fourth quarter, and this thing, it looks like a fucking playoff game. It was incredible to watch. Both benches are on their feet the entire time. You have some of the biggest stars, not even just the starters, but Chris Paul was out there for most of it. There were barely any subs. Nobody wanted to come off the court. You saw stuff like Joel Embiid do a shimmy shake. You saw LeBron try to do everything to push his team over the limit, literally through that 157 mark. He jacked up a long bomb which was almost classic NBA, or this is the, oh, Steph's not here, or I'm going to try to do Kobe. I don't mean to sound crass that way, so that's why I kind of paused. But from basically the logo, LeBron pulls up. I mean, and you had all these different players. You had a lot of open fouls, you had or a lot lot of open looks, but you also had people taking fouls and taking charges. Uh, Kyle Lowry doing a lot of it, and and he ended up uh, having a little egg on his face, given the fact that he was on Team Giannis, Team Giannis ended up losing to Team LeBron, where Anthony Davis, they kept talking about, oh, the hometown kid, and that's my Marv Albert impression, but how he was close to nailing. First a jumper, then he gets fouled, put on the foul line. They're at 156, so all he needs to do is hit one. And he claimed to Allie LaForce after the game that he missed the first one on purpose. It's like, yeah, I did a good job missing him. All right. <laughs> okay, AD, if that's what you're doing. All right, buddy. Uh, but then he nails the second one. And, you know, everybody's going wild, a walk-off. And, again, I think it did really well. There's a couple nitpicks I have. For one, because there was no clock, they instituted that it was like the last two minutes of a half where pretty much anything can be reviewed and there's no limit to it. This is something that I've said about baseball reviewing, too, is that it's, you know, it's, it's great that you want to get everything right and everything, but, I don't know, the time was... Time is getting excruciating, especially towards the end, where they're showing highlights and outside of the highlights, instead of doing like a playing through or some sort of quick commercial, you're just showing LeBron, Kawhi, whoever was on the court bitching at a ref, and it took forever to figure something out. And I get it. Like the there's a point towards the end of the game where LeBron Looks like he has this open basket, and Giannis comes and stuffs it. And at first, it looks like it's a clear goal 10. So you're like, all right, call it. And it ends up taking a few minutes because, as it turned out, even though at first glance from the regular broadcast view, it looks like LeBron hit the the backboard first, making it clearly goaltending, it looks like Giannis pins it right away. And I get it. You want to make sure you have that right. 
but there was a lot of foul calls they were reviewing. There's one where Joel Embiid ended up getting hacked in the arm, and then it ends up getting tied up. They originally called a foul. They called it a foul on LeBron, who's on the other side of the lane, instead of on Kawhi. Um, then they called it on Anthony Davis, who like tapped Joel Embiid on the shoulder while while uh, Kawhi was tying the ball up with Joel. And then they call and then. Uh, no, Vogel, excuse me, Frank Vogel, who's coaching Team LeBron, he ends up challenging it and gets the challenge, so it ends up being a jump ball, which, you know, it's great and everything, but it took forever to do this, and it was kind of all over the place. The broadcast team didn't totally know what to think, which side of the, of the call they were on at first, like, oh, no, that's a great foul call, and then they're like, oh, should be a jump ball. Other complaint. How do they pick the coaches for the NBA All-Star Game? This is probably something that I can imagine Greg yelling at his at his phone or in his car right now. But Or, you know, Emily knowing. And I asked her and she didn't know, but she's the basketball expert of the relationship. So that's why I use you, Em. But just wondering how Frank Vogel got up there when, you know, Steve Kerr was the Western Conference champion, just like with baseball having the managers of the previous World Series teams do it. I don't know. Maybe the Lakers have been good this year. He, they kept miking him up and showing him, be like, "Oh yeah, some great coaching by me." Like, yeah, dude, you're in the fucking All Star game. Calm down for a second. Uh, but it, but again, I think this was a really good way to revitalize it. It ended at eleven thirty on a Sunday, which I think that's something you probably want to look at. Of a, the timing, because now you're turning it almost into the problem that baseball runs into where games run out too late, you want little kids to watch it. And I've always thought that about Sunday night activities, whether it be the Super Bowl, whether it be just regular football, and especially this. If you want youth to continue to drive sports, you, you kind of need to cater it that way. Maybe make it start, maybe make it an afternoon event, I don't know. I don't know what the best way to do it is. I get it. There's golf. There's it was the Daytona 500 on Sunday. So you don't want to try to, to compete with that because there's a billion different things going on. But I think if the NBA wanted to use this play to X number, and whether it's plus 24, plus 30, whatever number it ends up being, if they wanted to use that, there's definitely some tweaking that they're probably going to keep using, whether it's through the All-Star game, through the preseason Maybe get rid of the the one free throw worth X number of points, either one, two, or three in the in the G League. For those that don't know what I'm talking about, it's when you go to the foul line in the G League, you shoot just one free throw, and it's worth however many shots you would have gotten. So an and one is just worth one point. But if you got fouled shooting a three-pointer, you shoot one free throw, and it's worth three points. So... Get rid of that, maybe implement this. Those games are already high scoring anyway, so just make it a ton of fun that way. I, I don't know. Um, that's probably something we should talk about in a later podcast, but I did want to talk to you guys about this because it was something that even as we finished Long Shot, I did not think that I was going to be that interested in tuning into it, and I you know, wasn't very tired. I'd been on the West Coast. My sleep schedule's been kind of West Coast time, screwed up that way. So, you know, just watched five minutes, and I got hooked, and it did a great job. Somebody who had zero interest in watching the All-Star game 24 hours ago. I'm recording this at 6.30, right around the time that Commons yelling out shit that does not rhyme. You got me, NBA. Good job, Adam Silver.
Let's not talk about or, uh, mid-season tournaments. Let's talk about this kind of stuff. But let's move on. Mention the golf. The Genesis Open wrapped up yesterday out at Riviera in Los Angeles, California. And this was a star-studded field, one of the best fields we've had on the PGA Tour in the, the 2020 wraparound season. Tiger was the big host of the tournament, and he made ended up making the cut. Didn't end up doing too well. But Adam Scott ends up pulling this thing out, and it ended up being a star-studded Sunday where he and Rory McIlroy were battling back and forth for the first couple holes. Then on the fifth hole, Rory shoots over the green, ends up having a three-putt triple bogey, which is not so fun. Uh, It's normal for me, but not so fun on the PGA Tour. And Adam Scott had a double bogey. They're both kind of finding themselves in a weird spot as Matt Kuchar was tied and he kind of fell off because uh, as he only had one birdie, didn't really have one until the back nine. But Sung Kang and Scott Brown both shoot in the 60s as Adam Scott shoots a 71 under to take this thing at 11 under for the tournament. And Riviera always is one of the better courses, one of the better stops on the tour. Something I think a lot of players like to show up for. We mentioned it last week, going from Pebble to the Genesis Open. Not a bad back-to-back weeks in California, if you ask me. But it was fun to see, and I don't have any audio for you, because this was a bigger story that came out of the weekend. Obviously, Adam Scott winning is huge. It's a big name on the tour. He's finding himself now in this great spot. Where he, you know, is finally getting FedEx Cup points. As we're now in the middle of April, we're now about a month away from the players. You know, the fifth major and all that stuff. But one of the bigger stories that came out of this was the broadcast itself, and especially on Sunday, where they weren't really showing a lot of shots live. And you hear this more often with tournaments that, for all intents and purposes, the Golf Channel shows off-peak hours, usually in Europe or Japan, or really anywhere in Asia, or in Australia, you know, where they say the broadcast is on from 2 to 6 in the morning. You saw this with the Ryder Cup a couple years ago when it was in France, where they said it was go. It started the broadcast started at 2, and within that first hour, they only ended up showing like 12 minutes of golf. Like, this is something that we've seen happen but never really with these bigger tournaments. And it wasn't that there was a ton of commercials during the round. It's just that I don't know if they wanted to cover more Tiger, if they wanted to, what they were doing. And they wanted to cover some of the bigger names. But there were some shots that they just weren't showing right on time. They'd be like, oh, this was quote-unquote moments ago, but it was really 20 minutes ago. And a lot of the calls as I was trying to listen through on these shots just weren't that great. There was a couple where... They didn't even know that Andrew Landry was hitting for a birdie on the first hole of, of this is back on Friday. And I guess that's indicative of the weekend. And for those that don't know, the 10th hole at Riviera is drivable and Landry is right off the green and he ends up chipping in and it's a great call. Then they go, oh, whoops, not for Eagle. Sorry, Andrew. Like, come on, man. Like, that's not cool. No, pay attention. You know, I'm, I mean, I'm just some idiot with the podcast and. Maybe, uh, you know, I don't know. I've never called golf before, so I'm not trying to suggest anything. But, you know, I make mistakes. But that's, you know, amateur hour for a reason. Shout out, Greg. But a great tournament. We move on. It's going to be fun leading up to the players. 
But let's talk about my West Coast road trip. Because this thing was great. And yes, there was a road trip involved to it, despite the fact that I took two long flights on last Tuesday and yesterday, Sunday. Uh, flew out to L.A. for a, the premiere of Survivor Season 40, Winners at War. Great two-hour premiere. If you're a Survivor fan, it was awesome. Was bummed to see the two players who got voted out. Did get voted out. I don't want to spoil it for anybody, even though it's almost been a week since it aired. But... Very excited that it's Survivor's back. But I was out for Rob as a Podcast's 10-year anniversary party. He had a ton of different Survivors there. It was a lot of fun. I stayed with my buddy Felipe. Shout out, Felipe. I know you're listening because you are a great buddy. Letting me stay out of your place. And you support the podcast. And I appreciate that, man. And you uh, definitely did me a solid. I left my phone in our Uber out leaving Busby's East uh, back to your place, and you did me a solid getting it back. So I got to give you the shout out on the pod. Um, and yeah, it was fun to meet all these different Survivor players. I talked about a bunch of different names that were playing when the se- the season got announced, uh, and I got to meet a couple players that were that were there. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to announce them. I know some have been publicly shown on different articles, so I won't blow up their spots there but then thursday day after the survivor premiere i rented a car from an enterprise in beverly hills and for one i could not stop pumping weezer's beverly hills as soon as i got in the car um for those that don't know me in person you're just learning how big of a fucking dork i am but anyway uh drove to phoenix arizona for my buddy jake goldberg's bachelor party and man a six-hour drive could not have gone faster. Got out of L.A., which was the hardest part of the drive, and that was on the 10 freeway, or the, the you know, Route 10, for you know what ended up being a six-hour drive, and it was really cool to watch. Um, I was a little bummed it was the middle of the day. This, again, song dork that I am, that I couldn't play Hotel California and think that, because I could only imagine that's probably the road that the members of Eagles of the Eagles we're driving down, I don't know which member of the Eagles, whether it's Joe Walsh or Don Henley, wrote Hotel California, or if it's just the whole band. Although they broke up, so probably somebody's claiming credit there that uh, the other guys weren't too pleased about. But anyway, I'm rambling. Um, the car ride was great. A lot of cool views. And this is, I guess, the first sort of recommendation. Um, very deserty. Really great red rocks. A lot of different mountains. It feels like you're driving through this vast valley almost imagine I, I can't even describe it it's not like it's not like you're driving through the middle of the grand canyon but it's as far as the eye can see one way there are some red rocks out there far as the eye can see another way the red rocks that way i can't even tell you how far could because if you've ever driven on somewhere in the great plains or been to the grand canyon you can't really get an, an estimate of how far it is because it's so vast but these massive plateaus out in the distance and a couple times it looks like you're about to drive right into one and you end up sneaking through it and it's almost like in star wars the force awakens where they have the dogfight through the old star destroyer it kind of feels like that um i was almost about to make a rise of skywalker reference but you know that movie was just okay uh we're not here to talk about star wars the rise of skywalker though we're talking about my drive end up getting out to phoenix though thursday night and we go out to the casino, Talking Stick Resort and Casino. Great time. Ended up 
up a little bit, down a little bit. Good time at the casino. If you've never, if you've ever been out to Phoenix, um, it's out on in a Native American reservation, and you know they do a really good job of putting on a pretty good show out there of you know being great hosts and you know holding down a holding down a a pretty solid casino experience. I'm not really too. Don't frequent the casinos and the card games too much, but you know the blackjack dealers we had were uh, some solid dealers. <laughs> um, so then Friday, this is where we get into the the bulk of the trip. The rest of the guys end up getting out there. We go to a golf course that's technically in Paradise Valley, Arizona, but still right in that Phoenix area. It was called the Short Course, and as the name implies, it was not a very large golf course. It was a par three course. One of the nicest par three courses I've ever been to. It's attached to a resort, and you're basically driving through villas as you're driving along the golf carts. Driving through villas that either were residential. I think they were a part of the resort though, because there were some that were. As you make the as you make a turn from the fifth hole to six, you basically shoot along a couple houses, and then as you go seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, you go all through this middle area. So I, I want to think that they were villas for the resort. Maybe they're houses in some sort of development. But a par three for every single hole. Nothing's longer than, I think, 150 from the white tees. Which, outstanding. And it was just great. You know, we're, we're having a good time. Everybody's just showing up. We're starting to get a little boozy. All that stuff. Nobody taking it too seriously. We had a little bet going who was going to buy dinner. And, you know, we end up playing we were sent out in foursomes which for one they gave you four person golf carts one of the greatest ideas ever and you know we're we're getting after drinking having some beers having some cocktails we get to the 16th green and we're in the second group the first group is waiting for us there we play 17 together the the entire match ends up being all square going into 18. So, as we make the turn back towards the main part of the resort, there's a giant putting green that calls itself hole 17 and a half. Has two tee boxes on one end and a flag stick, just one flag stick on the other side. And it says this is used to settle any bets, anything that you want at all, bragging rights, dinner, the next round of beers, you settle it here. And all eight of us go. Your boy, Gordon, the G-Man, he ended up winning. Now, it was for the team, so we ended up getting a little edge going to 18. I think we ended up splitting dinner anyway, so kind of fell short there. I think I think somebody bought, bought a round. Uh, the rest of the night got a little hazy. Don't need to talk about that because it was a bachelor party, but got a little... Uh, the, the alcohol was flowing. We'll just say that. Got in one. Played again Saturday morning around 11 o'clock at a place called the McCormick Ranch Golf Club, which has two golf courses, the Pines and the Palms. Sorry, I had to look at the other side because we played the Pine course. Pine course was great. Not very piney, as the name might suggest, although... There are palm trees all over the place in, in the greater Phoenix area. But the palm, or the uh, pine course was fun. Um, overall, 
great golf course, good distance, good challenges, good challenging shots. There were a couple holes that looked like they were just straight away, nothing too wild, but ended up being great challenges, good challenging second shots, not the hardest fairways to hit off of, which, you know, that's what you want out of resort golf. That's what you want out of, you know, vacation golf. You don't want it to be something like where your feet are uneven and you're almost feeling you're in some sort of penalty. Um, the rough ended up being more dead grass than it was even thick grass, regular old rough, which actually ended up working out pretty well because you, you never felt like you were totally out of it. There were some spots where it was just a bunch of crap, um, where there was cacti and you know basically you're hitting off of gravel, so there was you know basically playing like ground under repair, uh, ground under repair, nowhere closer to the hole as you take it out of there, which ended up working out for everybody and. Once again, we were split into foursomes, and it was a blast. Um, and your boy ended up winning that, too. They kept pressing. I kept taking. Put it that way. But it was great. It was great to get the sticks back out. Actually, later tonight, mentioned Five Iron Golf. I know, no free ads, but these people, Five Iron Golf, they're some friends of mine. They've hooked me up when I, you know, letting me go to the friends and family night and all this sort of stuff. So i got to give them a shout-out. Going to their first-ever... Philly League tonight. I'm partaking. Jared and I are playing in it. So probably you may have already seeing it on the Thunderblog Instagram story or even a post. So if you're not Thunderblog Sports on Instagram, go check it out. It's pretty awesome. But going there soon to uh, make my debut. It opened about a month ago. Not even actually. It was the weekend of the Super Bowl. So it's only been open for three weeks. But it's a great place. Golf simulator. It shows a cool camera. Let you see your your the flight of your backswing. It even lets you pause or not even pause. It, it gives you snapshots of pre and post impacts. So you can see your club how it moves. So it probably tells you something about your grip. Got to ask the real Maddie D, my cousin who played college golf. It's a bit of a name drop. I apologize, but actually I'll probably have to ask him about what the point of that is because he'll probably know because that guy knows pretty much everything about golf. But anyway. We move on. A shorter episode, guys. And again, I apologize if there was no audio clips that I pulled from this one this week. Uh, again, I looked I looked up some, and it just didn't sound good. The stuff with Common, I thought about maybe pulling the Simmons Embiid and the Rudy Gobert, because that was by far the best one. But even that, like, some people really liked it. I didn't want to sound like I was really shitting on it, even though it was. I don't think it was really that good. But it just it didn't seem like it was good to pull on this format. So go look it up on YouTube. I'm going to put some of these clips on the show notes on thunderboxsports.com. So go check it out there. But you know, let me know what you guys are thinking about that because I definitely want to cater this a little better. I want to use this as a way, kind of almost, almost like a sandbag box to hone my skills, hone the craft of editing and all that sort of stuff. So please let me know what you're thinking. Uh, but, you know, wrapping things up, we got a couple other things to talk about here. I know I've mentioned it on a number of different podcasts, both on the Weekend Recap, Stuff with Greg, Stuff with Jared, about the Astros, and I'm going to keep it quick because this is definitely not the last we're going to hear about the story before opening day, I'll tell you that. But... As pitchers and catchers and the position players have been showing up to spring training, we've been getting press conferences, we've been getting interviews, and you probably saw the Astros players and the, their owner, Jim Crane, really getting under the spotlight on on uh, 
Friday morning. And yeah, it's it's not a good situation. They're really digging themselves deeper and deeper into a hole. You had Dusty Baker coming out saying MLB needs to you know pre, uh, be preactive or proactive, excuse me, before my players get hit and all this sort of stuff. And I get that, and you don't want players getting thrown at with. And I don't even think it's unwritten rules of baseball. At this point, it's it's very much written. It was very much thrown on your your cameras and shit. But it's we're not even close to finding out what the hell is going to happen with whatever my, Rob Manfred decides to do. Whatever ends up actually going down with them. And yeah, I mean. Again, I don't want to dive too deep into it because I don't want to keep beating the dead horse because we're going to hear about it more. Something's going to happen before opening day, whether somebody gets hit or a fight happens in spring training. Something is going to happen. So you're going to hear us talk about it more, especially as we are going to probably start getting out the spring training podcast pretty soon. Um, Yeah, just keep an eye out for that. If you're not following along with this, it is a very long story. Google Astros cheating scandal. Find a TLDR something if you want a quick update or a quick uh, catch up. But more baseball stuff because teams are showing up. There are a few things that we've missed out here. One, the potential baseball playoff changes that have been announced or uh, as a potential idea, which Trevor Bauer thinks Rob Manfred leaked, which is basically this. They're going to expand the tournament to 14 teams, seven from each league, Seed them one through seven, the three division winners, and four wild cards, although it can also work if baseball expands and you get a fourth division in the NL and AL, respectively. Top seed, the best record in the NL, best record in the AL, both get buys immediately to the divisional series. That's right, they miss a round altogether. Two seed, the second best division winner, gets to pick between the five, six, and seven seed who they want to play. They get to host them for a three-game series. Three seed gets to pick next. And then the four seeds left with who's ever left. Again, three-game all at the higher seed series. So the five, six, seven seeds do not get a home playoff game. This thing is so wild that I think it might actually work. It's a way to actually expand without really going too crazy. It's a way that baseball, if they really want to cut back on regular season games. It might be a way to get owners, get players onto it. I think it it's something where, especially if you're continuously worried about football's presence against baseball, that it might be a way to keep some hype in there. Like imagine an upset in the first round where they had to win two games on the road. That would be pretty wild. I do think the bye week is also pretty interesting. What I really like is the three seat or three game first round. Um, I've been back and forth on the wild card game. I think most of you that are longtime listeners know that, and I think this could be. I think this is a good way of, of doing it. It'd be hard to do a three game series where you're starting in the lower seed and then going to the higher seed for two games, or you're traveling a ton. Because then imagine like the Dodgers and the Phillies playing or the Dodgers and the Mets. I'm just trying to think of two teams that are pretty far away from each other that are in the same league. Um, the Rays and the Mariners, you guys are getting the picture. But if they had to do that where Game 1's in Seattle, Game 2's in Tampa slash Montreal, and Game 3 is in Seattle again. Figuring all that out I think is is almost redundant. Although they do in a five-game series and kind of get away with it there. Uh, but... 
Yeah, I don't. I, this is a start. It's definitely not for sure going to happen. I think 2022 is when they said the earliest would be. But again, I like that baseball has these ideas to try to radicalize things and, and get some ideas going. And I know there's some people have talked that it's encouraging mediocrity. It's really devaluing the regular season because it's 162 games. Which that's been the whole thing about the wild card anyway, of that it's 162 games just to play one game. Um, I don't know. Playoff baseball is pretty awesome. I think it's a lot of fun. I do think there's an idea to, or it's a great idea to further emphasize being good in your league. And I think that the weird spots we found ourselves over the last however many seasons where one league has been the haves and the have-nots, the seven-ish teams, which in this point would all make the playoffs, seven to eight teams, that seemingly are going to do well and were hanging around to that September 1st deadline, which now no longer exists, and the rest of the teams were either openly tanking or were pretty much tanking anyway. And then there's the, you know, last year with the, the National League where the Mets were right there, the Phillies were right there, all these different teams who, for all intents and purposes, had serious flaws and were not going to win the World Series, would have made the playoffs. And it would have been cool to say that, you know, say that they made it as a wild card or whatever. Um, but, you know, I, I just I just think it's a good idea to try to Try to draw draw more eyes to baseball. It kept a story off the Astros for a little bit. So I'm pretty excited just to uh, find out that kind of stuff. Because it does seem like baseball is really trying to pursue expansion. And it really seems like that we might start hearing some rumbling soon. Especially with the Seattle team around the corner in the NHL. And we're probably going to get a name for them probably over the summer if I had to guess. So... We'll see. I know I'm kind of jumping into some tinfoil hat territory. I think baseball expanding could be a lot of fun if you got, especially if you got some more southern teams. Uh, I know that sounds crazy, but since, since there aren't a ton of southern teams in the rest of the professional sports, but it'd be kind of cool to see a team in, you know, in Tennessee or in North Carolina or something like that. Uh, but I, I'm I'm digressing. The last thing on baseball I want to talk about uh, the Phillies. Really quick update: Bryce Harper showed up and he said that he was happy, which is always good to hear if you're 33 or $330 million man. Gene Segura apparently showed up to spring training today, Monday, uh, 14 pounds lighter. He stopped drinking, which good for you, man. I, uh, you know, I don't know if I could do that, but he also came out and said that he would not care if he had to play second base or third base wherever he just wants to help the team win which is really good because the Phillies acquired Dean uh, Dean Segura they acquired Didi Gregorius in the offseason who has played shortstop for the Yankees for for the last number of years and you know a lot of people wonder what was going to happen with Segura were they going to trade him try to package him for something and it does not seem like that's going to be the case he's going to be a part of this team I was a big fan of him last year I think he did a pretty good job, aside from you know some injury problems. But who on the Phillies was not hurt last year, aside from Bryce Harper was not. That's what I meant by that. But um, you know, Andrew McCutcheon is hoping to be back for opening day. I think the Phillies pitching still needs some help. We'll see what they do. I'm cautiously optimistic that maybe they'll keep my hopes up at least into the 20s of September. Seven months that I have that I can have my hopes up. Who knows? Maybe the Sixers or the Flyers crush them in May. 
hopefully in May. God, if it's in April, either of those teams. Oh, man, I don't want to end the show depressed. All right, let's talk about this movie I watched last night. Me and me and third and girl, the fiance, we watched the movie Long Shot with Seth Rogen and Charlize Theron, where Charlize plays the Secretary of State for this former TV actor president, played by Bob Odenkirk, and before you think anything, if you hear TV with with president, it's not supposed to be modern day. It's not supposed to be Trump or anything, but it does. It is. Well, let me rephrase that. It's not supposed to be Trump, but it's supposed to be in 2019 talking about the 2020 election. And she wants to run for president. Bob Odenkirk is going to endorse her. And it turns out that she comes off kind of stiff, not really that funny. Seth Rogen, basically just playing Seth Rogen. So this guy who writes for this this online website in Brooklyn. He exposes all these different things. He expo- it starts out with him exposing a neo-Nazi group in somewhere in Brooklyn. And, you know, so... But it also turns out he has, like, this funny spin. He's, like, almost a comedic writer. Again, kind of like Seth Rogen. So she ends up hiring him to be a speechwriter for her. And shenanigans happen. I don't want to give away anything else. But it, it's a good movie, you know? It's it's not really that political, Um and there's some really funny you know, interactions between the characters. O'Shea Jackson Jr., who, if you saw Straight Out of Compton, played his father, Ice Cube. He's in the movie. He plays Seth Rogen's best friend. It's a really good movie. It's you know it's more rom com than anything else. But you know who doesn't enjoy a good rom com on a Sunday night? And yeah, I think if if you like if you like either of the actors, you're really going to like the movie. They're really good together. The only thing I might say is that it's a little long. It's over two hours. Uh, there's some parts that do drag on a little bit and you kind of get some of it. If you have seen the movie, if you go watch it, you'll understand what I mean, but I highly recommend it. It was great. Um, didn't really get a chance to watch too much else. TV this past week. I did catch up on single parents and the unicorn, which are two shows that if you're not watching, and you like kind of family shows. Again, those kind of goofy goofy shows, but, but feature funny family dynamics almost in the wake of Modern Family, just not as a mockumentary. Uh, these are shows for you. Single Parents on ABC, Unicorns on CBS. Highly recommend them. But that's going to do it, you guys. And I again, I really appreciate you guys checking it out. Sorry for the late posting. I know that uh, with the West Coast Swing, it was a little tough. I'm still trying to figure out my sleep schedule. So I appreciate your... Patience, I appreciate all your feedback. Keep submitting in those questions, you guys. Keep supporting. I really appreciate it. And let me know what you guys want to talk about. We'll be back later this week. But until then, go Flyers, go Birds, go Sixers, and let's go Phillies, baby. We're almost there.